Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, well, here I am. I'm actually on holiday at the moment. So you might think this sounds a little bit different to usual when I'm at home in my office. And that's because I'm in a different room and the acoustics are different and I'm using slightly different equipment. Uh, I'm actually house sitting for my brother-in-law and his family. So that means that I'm actually sitting here with the dog that inspired the character of Pumpkin from the Pesky Kids. Uh, The real dog's called Coco and uh, the real dog's a girl, whereas Pumpkin's a boy. And Coco, she never actually bites people, at least to the best of my knowledge, she never bites people. But Pumpkin was based on her because Coco is nuts. (laughs) She has a very short fuse and uh, she's just very highly strung dog and she yaps and barks all the time. So it's going to be very, very interesting trying to record the podcast with her here in the room today. I mean, just so you know, my dog Henry, he's been at every single recording of the podcast, which is like over 260 episodes now. And uh, he very rarely makes a sound that you can hear. He might occasionally scratch at the door or something, but generally you don't even notice he's there. But today I'm in Sydney, so there's like planes going over and there's traffic and there's beeping noises from the street. And I have a dog who is very sweet, but, you know, hysterical at a moment's notice here in the room with me. So we're going to see how that goes. But anyway, let's get into it. I'm very excited to have written this story. Um, I actually went home to my house in Barrel uh, to check on the chickens, amongst other things. But also, while I was there, I wrote this story and I researched it, and it was a lot of fun researching it. I'm going to do the story for you today of Mulan, which you you may know the story of Mulan from the Disney movies, but it actually goes back way longer than that. So the reason I'm doing this story is because I met a, a very nice young person when I was in in Auckland, New Zealand, and I did that live show there, and I met a bunch of fans. It was really cool to meet some New Zealand fans. And this one girl, she was very intense about it. She was really, really keen for me to do the story of Mulan. And I was like, okay, I will. So I've researched it, and I wrote it yesterday, and I'm going to record it today. Okay, so let's just get into it. Here we go. The Ballad of Mulan, as told by Nanny Piggins. Nanny Piggins, has the government ever tried to get you to join the army? asked Michael. Why do you ask, my dear boy? asked Nanny Piggins. It's just that you're so good at being blasted out of cannon, said Michael. It seems there must be some way you could use that skill to win a war. Oh, undoubtedly, agreed Nanny Piggins, but I don't agree with wars at all. What, because of all the violence? asked Samantha. Yes, and the food shortages, said Nanny Piggins. Wherever there is war, there are always food shortages, and I cannot abide food shortages. I've had to learn to be very firm with these generals when they come around begging for my help. Of course, they want me for my fantastic athletic skill, my elite understanding of cannon ballistics, and the fact that my family has a long history of legendary military accomplishment. 
They do? asked Eric. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. But I've never heard of a war hero called Piggins, said Derek. Oh, no, my relative was so famous, she only went by one name. She used her first name, said Nanny Piggins. You know, like really big super celebrities do. You know, Sher, Madonna, P. Diddy. What was your relative's name, asked Samantha. My relative was called Mulan, said Nanny Piggins. Her full name was Hua Mulan Piggins. No way, said Michael. Mulan, not the Mulan, who all those movies are made about. She was a distant relative of yours? Well, she was such an accomplished warrior, she survived 12 years of battle against the horsemen of the Mongolian steppe, performing so many selfless, heroic acts for her people that she was celebrated by the emperor himself, all while tricking an entire army into thinking she was a man, said Nanny Piggins. So, of course, she was a Piggins. Wow, said Michael. But she's famous today not because of the movies, said Nanny Piggins. After all, movies have only existed for the last 100 years or so, whereas Mulan was alive all the way back in the ancient Chinese story days. Mulan lived 1,600 years ago. The reason we know about her today is because in her own lifetime, or at least close to her own lifetime, a song was written about her, and it was called The Ballad of Mulan. Ballads are absolutely the best way to make sure you stay famous for thousands of years, because ballads are stories that are told in songs, and songs are written so that they scan and have rhythm and repetition, assonance, alliteration and rhyme, which means you can't change the words without stuffing it up. So everyone who remembers the story remembers the words exactly. And all those things make a song easier to remember. So parents have sung the Ballad of Mulan to children, and those children grew up to sing it to their children, and so on. Which is why it was remembered for hundreds of years. It also helped that Mulan came from China, and the Chinese have always been great academics. They got on to writing everything down long before a lot of other cultures did. The Chinese also have a great deal of respect for poetry and storytelling. Oh, I like a good story too, said Boris. Yes, that's because you're Russian, Boris, said Nanny Pickens. Russians love a good tragic tale. But anyway, in China, a 6th century scholar wrote down a collection of folk stories, and that included Mulan's song, which is why we know exactly what she did all these hundreds and hundreds of years later. But I thought Mulan was fictional, said Derek. You thought what? demanded Nanny Piggins. I thought she was a made-up character, said Derek. How dare you, said Nanny Piggins. I'm sorry, said Derek. It's just that all the other characters in those types of movies usually are. Just because someone does something so amazing, it's mind-blowingly awesome, does not mean that person is fictional, said Nanny Piggins. I do astonishing things every single day, and you believe in me, don't you? Yes, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. Besides, said Nanny Piggins, I know many, many real people who are much harder to believe exist than the most outrageously over-the-top fictional character. So I think it's very fictionalistic of you to be prejudiced against someone just because it so happens that their biological parents are an artist's imagination. Derek was now so confused he decided not to ask any more rational questions. Nanny Piggins seemed determined not to be rational on the subject, and when someone is as intimidating as Nanny Piggins, it would be irrational to insist on rationality in their presence. 
Could you tell us her story, please, asked Samantha. Nanny Piggins gave one last glower in Derek's direction. It would be much better if you just read the ballad yourself, preferably in the original Chinese. But I suppose none of you can read Chinese. The children shook their heads. Nanny Piggins rolled her eyes. They insist on teaching you mathematics and algebra at that school your father sends you to. But none of you can read a word of Chinese. I must have a stern word with your headmaster about his educational priorities. Tang Dynasty poetry is so beautiful, the English language doesn't convey it half as well. All the translations don't do the lyrics justice. But education is important, so I suppose I should tell you what really happened all those years ago in the ancient northern Chinese story days. Gather around, I'll whip up some hangquao, which is a delicious northern Chinese sesame cake, then I can tell you the whole tale. So, after Nanny Piggins had baked her story-specific snack, the children snuggled around her and she began. Long, long ago in ancient northern China is where our story begins. Mulan was sitting at her weaving loom, sighing. <sighs> said Mulan. Oh dear, said Boris. I don't like it when people are sad. <sighs> well, yes, the ballad is very specific about the sighing, said Nanny Piggins. In fact, the ballad states that she was sighing so loudly you couldn't hear the sound of the shuttle and spindle as she worked her loom. That's loud sighing, said Michael. Yes, so much so, it caught the attention of her mother. In fact, her mother was quite excited to hear all this sighing. You see, Mulan was not normally the sighing type. Life was not easy in northern China in those days. There was a lot of galloping around the countryside on horseback, chasing down food. You mean hunting, asked Samantha. Yes, said Nanny Piggins. Hunting down pastries and cakes and sweets. You see, Mulan had 13 identical twin sisters, all evil in their own unique way, and they were forever racketing about the countryside, chasing down poor, hapless delivery people, intercepting their baked goods on the way to market. Mulan wasn't normally one of those wishy-washy girls who sat around sighing. She led an active lifestyle, mainly riding on horseback. But still, the sisters had to wear clothes while they did this. Northern China gets pretty cold in the winter. And online shopping had not been invented yet. So they had to make their own clothes, including the cloth itself, from scratch. Which is why Mulan was weaving. Now, Mulan's mother was surprised to hear her daughter sighing. She thought, oh, at long last, Mulan must have a boyfriend. You see, when you have 14 identical daughters, 13 of whom are evil, you really, really look forward to the day when they all get boyfriends. Then they marry the boyfriends and leave home so you can finally have a cup of tea in peace. So the mother went to Mulan and asked, Oh, Mulan, who is it you are thinking of? Who is it you are sighing for? Mulan sighed again. (sighs) I sigh for no one, said Mulan. Oh, you're not sighing over last night's yak's milk creme brulee again, are you? asked her mother. I gave you seven servings. Surely that's enough. The poor yak can only produce so much. Ah, no, I am not sighing over the yak's milk creme brulee, said Mulan. Although, now you mention it, it was seriously good. No, today I am sighing for my father. Oh, him, said Mulan's mother. Well, he's not very good at coping with 14 identical daughters, 13 of whom are evil, but I will concede he is a good man and very good at baking delicious Huang Kuao sesame cake. Indeed, said Mulan, but the Khan is calling the battle roll. 
Khan was the word for king in the ancient northern Chinese story days. The Khan is calling up men to be in his army. Twelve lists have been written to be posted in twelve spots about the village, and my father's name is on each list. That'd be right, said the mother. They probably want him for his cake recipe. Alack, I have no older brother, lamented Mulan. My father has no adult son to go in his place. No, agreed Mulan's mother. It's a shame your brother Bramwell is so small, also utterly no good. You're saying Mulan had a brother called Bramwell just like you, asked Michael. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. My family has been cursed with no good brothers called Bramwell throughout the ages and around the world. And this Bramwell was so much younger, he was tiny. So it would have been very silly to send him to join the army. It's one thing to send a girl off to war, but to send a toddler off to war would just be ridiculous. He'd keep the other soldiers up half the night wanting a bottle and wanting a cuddle and wanting his teddy. I have decided, said Mulan, that I shall go in my father's place. What? But couldn't she just explain the situation to the army recruiter? asked Samantha. Oh, no, said Nanny Piggins. Military recruiters are famously inflexible about these things. Because they so desperately needed soldiers, asked Derek. Yes, and because inflexibility makes for excellent plot points in stories, said Nanny Piggins. Anyway, Mulan declared she was willing to go in her father's place. At first, her mother was suspicious. You just want to get out of finishing the weaving, don't you? But Mulan persuaded her it really was for the best. And so Mulan went shopping. She went shopping, exclaimed Derek. Absolutely, the ballad is very specific about the shopping. Mulan went to the East Market and bought a fine horse. She went to the West Market and bought a sturdy saddle. She went to the South Market and bought a bridle. And then she went to the North Market and bought a great long whip. A whip? What did she need that for, asked Samantha. I don't really know, said Nanny Piggins, but I guess if you're going to pretend to be a man, then go and live in a tent with a huge army of just men, it's best to have a whip, just in case things go horribly wrong. After all, men are dreadful at remembering to wash their socks. A whip can be very handy when you need to remind them. Anyway, at dawn the following morning, Mulan bid farewell to her parents, and by dusk that night, she was with the army, camped by the Yellow River. As she lay in her bed, she could no longer hear her parents calling for her. All she could hear was the water rushing in the river. Huh? asked Michael. That's one of the especially poetical bits in the ballad, said Nanny Piggins. I'm not much of a fan of poetry myself, but that bit is very clever. The poet wants you to imagine what it sounded like in the army camp in northern China 1,600 years ago. I'm sure Mulan was feeling lots of emotions like hunger for a piece of cake or irritation with a lumpy stone under her mattress. But instead, the poet gets us to imagine what it was like for her lying in the strange bed, listening to the water and missing her parents. You see, those things are so familiar to us even today that we can imagine what Mulan must have been feeling. Then, the next day, the army left the Yellow River at dawn and reached the Black Mountains by dusk. Now Mulan could not hear the cry of her parents, because all she could hear was the cries of the barbarian cavalry hidden in the Yan Hills. Oh, this story's getting scary, wailed Boris. What did you expect? It's about a war, said Nanny Piggins. War is scary. But in the movies about Mulan, they sing songs and it's much more cheerful, said Boris. Don't worry, said Nanny Piggins. It's going to be all right. 
No one's going to get hurt, are they? asked Boris. Oh no, thousands of people are going to get hurt, said Nanny Piggins. The enemy soldiers, their own soldiers, they're all getting killed left and right. The army flew after the barbarians, chasing them through the mountains and valleys. Mulan rode 10,000 miles. They fought a hundred battles and the war raged for ten years. The sentry's gong sounded through the crisp northern air. Mulan's metal armor reflected the cold northern sun. That's another poetical bit I just dropped in for you there. Finally, after a hundred battles and with their general dead, the war was won and the warriors returned. Ten years, exclaimed Michael. That's longer than I am old. Michael was just seven, so you know. I know, said Nanny Piggins. The warriors returned. They rode down from the Black Mountains to see the Son of Heaven. That's another name for the Khan. The Son of Heaven sat in the Hall of Brilliance, which was another name for his totally decked out palace. And the Khan was so grateful and so proud, he showered the warriors with rewards. Soon it was Mulan's turn. Mulan, you have been bravest of all. You have fought valiantly for ten whole years. You have proven yourself to be brave and wise. As a reward, you may be a minister in my government and advise me personally on how best to run my empire. Oh, said Mulan. What? asked the emperor. Well, that is lovely, said Mulan. But you know, after ten years galloping around the mountains, tormenting nomadic warriors, I'm not sure an office job would really suit me. Oh, well, what do you want then? asked the emperor. Well, could I please have one really fast horse? asked Mulan. I'd really like to return to my village. My father makes a lovely sesame cake. and After all this battling, I'm more than a bit peckish. And so the king granted her request, and Mulan travelled home, and her comrades travelled with her. When Mulan's family heard she was coming, her sister put on makeup, having no doubt heard that her sister was bringing a battalion of dashing soldiers with her. Her brother sharpened the cake knife, there was bound to be a big cake to celebrate her return, and her parents rushed to the edge of the village to greet her. When Mulan got back to her house, after so many years away, everyone fell silent. Everyone was so intimidated to have this great warrior return to the village, they didn't know what to say. Mulan got off her horse and entered her family's house alone. She opened her east chamber door and sat on her west chamber bed. What's east and west got to do with it, asked Boris. It's just another poetical bit, explained Nanny Piggins. Just go with it. Mulan took off her battle clothes and put on her old time clothes. She sat on the bed and put on her makeup. And then she went back outside. The other soldiers were so shocked to see her in ladies' clothes and makeup that they all fell off their horses in surprise. Oh my gosh! Mulan is a girl! they exclaimed. Yes, yes I am, said Mulan. And a pig! exclaimed the soldiers. Why, yes indeed, said Mulan. And stunningly beautiful and glamorous, said the soldiers. Yes, I am that most of all, agreed Mulan. How did we not notice this in ten years of battle? asked the soldiers. And Mulan wisely replied, The buck bounds here and there, while the doe has narrow eyes. But when the two hairs run side by side, how can you tell the female from the male? Huh? said the soldiers. What does that mean? It means, explained Mulan, 
that when you're busy trying to not get killed by a barbarian horde on horseback, you're not as observant as you might be otherwise. The soldiers all nodded. Mulan was indeed wise. So they all ate her dad's sesame cake and lived happily ever after. The end. Time for bed. And that is the end of the story. Well, there you go. I hope you liked that one. Uh, It was really, really super interesting to research. Uh, The poem, as I say um, in the story, there are written records of it that are like 1,500 years old. So we know exactly what was in the poem. So look it up. There's some great translations, really different translations. The one I really liked, I think it was from Wikisource. But anyway, have a look at it yourself. It's quite short and you can read it. And to think that all those Disney movies, and there's been other movies as well, and and folk stories, and there's more recent Chinese folk stories from the 16th century, they've all come from this one very, very old poem. Um, It's amazing. And to think you can read it today, and it's so beautifully written, you can enjoy the story. And it's got this really good sense of how she must have felt and how sad her family must have been. So I really recommend that you have a go at trying to read the poem as well. Okay, well, that's it for this week. I'm not sure what I'm going to write next week. All I've got in mind is, well, perhaps maybe I should do a Greek myth. But I am up in Sydney with my family, so I'm hoping maybe I'll I'll come into one of those uh, tall tale stories when I'm talking to one of my nieces or nephews. So who knows? But anyway, I'll be back next week with a fresh story. And until then, until next time, goodbye. <laughs>